Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 17 of season four, and we're going to be talking to Joanna Politano today. Um, before we get into that, I want to tell you a few ways that you can support the show. First of all, if you're enjoying Historical Fiction Unpacked, please subscribe or follow the show on your favorite podcatcher app, and that way you'll receive it every week. Furthermore, if you rate and review the podcast, that will help other lovers of historical fiction to find it. Please feel free to join our group on Facebook and to follow our account on Instagram. Also, if you want to support us financially, support me and the work that I do with the podcast and other writing, etc., please go to patreon.com slash Treat. that's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T, one L and Allison, then you can find all the perks that you can get by supporting us. Um, one of the most exciting benefits, I think, is at a certain level, you will get a monthly video book review. So I will talk about books that I've read. Um, Some of them are on this podcast. And this month, I'm definitely going to release one talking about this week's book and the one that we talked about last week. So make sure you check out that level and see if you're willing to support us at that level and receive my full book review and an explanation of everything that I felt while reading these books. Enough about that, though. I mentioned we are talking to Joanna Davidson Politano today. Um, I talked to her back in November, which was before. Now, those of you who have been listening to me for a while, you know that my one of my sisters passed away tragically in December. And um, this was before that. So I just wanted to note that I talk about one of my sisters in this interview, and I'm not talking about April who passed away. And I, I did a whole episode on her. If any of you haven't heard it, I think it's well worth the listen. I also wanted to let you know that Joanna is holding her little baby during this interview, and it's just so sweet. The baby starts waking up, and you can hear him or her in the background a little bit during the interview, and it's just the most adorable thing. So... Um, Joanna Politano, we're talking about her latest book, which was called A Midnight Dance, and that released last September. Um, It's unfortunate that we're talking about it so late in the game because I truly did enjoy this novel. And I am glad that we're finally getting to release this conversation with Joanna Politano. Joanna, I'm so glad you could join me on the show again today. I'm honored to be here. Last time you were on, we talked about your book, The Love Note, and um, this time we're going to talk about your latest novel, which is called A Midnight Dance, and it released in September. Can you tell me about this book? Sure. Well, this is um, set in the ballet theater of Victorian England, and I started out not knowing very much about ballet at all and learned a whole lot. And ballet is actually quite a bit different uh, in the Victorian era, so... Um, it's not what you'd expect a ballet story to be, um, but mm. it is about a girl who was trained by a very famous legendary ballerina who had disappeared, and she comes to the stage with a lot of uh, things to prove, and also a hero that she wants to reconnect with who had found her as as a young woman and kind of did a first partner dance with her and got her the courage to try to go into ballet. So that's kind of where the story starts out. 
Yeah. Um, so I mentioned to you already before we started recording that I read this book and I absolutely loved it. I did not want to put it down. Um, <laughs> I just felt like it was like an epic story. There were all these amazing characters and, and the, um, the imagery was so beautiful. And then when I reached the end, I was so sad that it was over. <laughs> Actually, I like I liked the end, but I was just like, "Oh no, it's over." Um, but I was trying to finish it before our interview, so I couldn't drag it out too much longer. Um, so, what inspired you to write this novel? A lot of it came honestly from my little girl, who's seven and a half now, and her complete love for ballet. I am not a ballet person. I'm not coordinated. So ballet is just not in my wheelhouse, but she absolutely loves it. And I thought this would be kind of a fun way to connect with her a little bit, uh, to dive into her world. And so we went starting at the age when she was about four, I started taking her to live ballet performances to start get a feel for what I was going to write. And I have to admit the live theater completely swept me away and Mm -hmm. I completely fell in love with it. And especially watching it through my daughter's eyes, she was glued, even as a four-year-old, every second of that ballet. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of the life and the color and just the vivid artistry that goes into a live performance got funneled into my book. Yeah, I I grew up going to see the Nutcracker every year. And partly because my sister, my younger sister started dancing ballet. And so I did experience a live ballet from a pretty young age, I guess. But it is just amazing and beautiful. What cool memories. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I think I feel like I kind of learned a little bit about ballet and some of the terms and things kind of secondhand just from her being involved. Um, Now, speaking more about the plot just a little bit, because you always have such cool mysteries going on. So early on, I thought that I had maybe figured out some of the mystery. Like I even made a note to myself, like, here's my prediction. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was not correct. Um, or maybe like a little tiny bit, right? But I could never have figured out all the um, all the different, the intricate mystery that you kind of threaded throughout the book. So I'm just wondering, how did you come up with all the twists and turns in the plot? Uh, honestly, a lot of rewriting. <laughs> so I rewrite, I, I write in a certain direction with a certain ending in mind yeah. and I'm always wrong. Um, whatever I set out <laughs> thinking the ending is, um, I always end up changing it. But honestly, what I do is I have some excellent beta readers who are just, um, some local friends who are not writers. They just really love books. Um, mm. so I pass them my books at about 70% written and I tell them that they need to guess the ending. And then everything they come up with, I throw out. So Mm. I kind of know if something's going to be obvious. And honestly, um, a lot of the rewriting, I I end up twisting and turning things a little bit further and changing anything that might be obvious. um, Yeah. Just to make sure that it's surprising to readers because it's also surprising to me. It's more fun that way. Right. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one who's surprised. If you were surprised, then (laughs) good. (laughs) My goal is to catch my editor off guard too. She's uh, she's such a smart person that you know if I can surprise her, I knew I now I've gotten it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. You already said you're you don't have experience with the ballet. So other than going to live ballets with your daughter, or is is she also taking ballet now or no? 
Yes, she started lessons at five and she's still doing them. Awesome. So how did you go about finding out everything you needed to know about ballet? Well, I have a small bookshelf up in my office that's three shelves and they're all full of books um, about the ballet. I found a man named Ivor Guest, who's a ballet historian, and he's brilliant. Mm. He's written about um, all these ballerinas from the Victorian era and Mm -hmm. just the the way ballet was back then. And I just soaked it all up. And I read more technical things that were written in modern times as well. But I really wanted a sense of the costumes and what it felt like to dance. I even bought myself some toe shoes and my daughter and I had a lot of fun in the living room a few times um, so that I could accurately describe what it felt like. And it's really actually quite hard. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I had a lot of fun with it. I dressed up in some costumes to see how heavy the the gowns were. And um, I just, I probably did 10 months of just reading and exploring and um, trying to understand the ballet from somebody, from the perspective of somebody who's never danced. Right. Yeah. Well, so how did you discover that ballet in Victorian England differed from ballet today then? I mean, I shouldn't say how did you discover it, but how does it differ? Well, um, a lot of the the research that I did, it was just well, that's different. That's not what I understand ballet to be now. Oh, that's not either. And it just kept finding more and more things. Their costumes were very heavy. And so they'd go, Mm. the gowns would go to about mid calf length um, instead of the short little tutus, which really restricted their dancing. So it changed the style of dance and it changed um, just the look of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were coming out of a classical ballet era. And sounds like somebody's waking up. Yeah. So it was just a very different style. And uh, the era that I wrote in is kind of what ushered in the beginning of, of where we see ballet today being um, where the, the ballerina is the forefront instead of the male counterpart, which mm-hmm. was the case back then. Um, also, the way ballerinas lived, most of them made very, very little money and they had to have other jobs on the side. They were washerwomen. They were, um, you know, a rag and bone collector or something um, to support themselves because ballet just didn't do it. And if you wanted to get high enough in the ranks, you found a sponsor who uh, kind of kept you on the side in an apartment and sponsored your uh, education in ballet and your costumes that, you know, ballet dancers had to pay for their own costumes. So, these mm-hmm. sponsors would sort of allow them to live without a second job so they could really hone in on their training and become very good. And they also had influence mm-hmm. with the ballet management and they could get their choice ballerina to rise up in the ranks. So it was, it was much more political and it was, unfortunately, uh, ballet dancers were taken advantage of quite a bit back then because they just didn't have a whole lot of options Um, And they would retire by the age of 35 when their bodies were out. So they had Mm -hmm. to have a backup plan. And a lot of times that was their sponsor. And they would depend on anything that he gave them, gifts, jewels, things like that, to live on in their retirement. And it's just not quite that way today, fortunately. (laughs) Um, It's just a very different art form. Yeah, I think you really, um, in the book, it really came out what, a ballerina's life was like in that time. And um, 
just how they were taken advantage of and and how difficult it was. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's still a very um, taxing physically, uh, but it's j- just the lengths that especially um, Ella, the protagonist, pushed herself to. Um, it was just yeah, it was very clear. Although I did find it interesting. Um, you mentioned that you got some toe shoes and danced in them, but I guess that it was not very common to dance on point at that point. No pun intended. That's right. Actually, the the artist that I mimicked my heroine after was the one who kind of brought in the dancing end point. It was done just for basically a few little seconds at a time before that. Um, it was an, mm-hmm. a lot of the Italian ballerinas did it as kind of an acrobatic move where they sort of bounce up on their toes over and mm-hmm. over a few times. Um, but Marie Taglioni was a dancer in the 1830s who decided she was just kind of a light fairy type creature. And she would make it look like she was floating across the stage by dancing an entire song up on her toes. And that was unusual for the time, but of course now it's almost standard. Right. Yeah. It's very, it's unusual. Like It's unusual for a ballerina not to get to that point if she continues to train. So mm-hmm. I, you mentioned in the book a couple times what was going on in France at the time. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, this is set in, was it 1830, the late 1830s? Yes, the 1830s. There was a, a French Revolution going on where the... But there not was a the lot French of, Revolution, right? Not the well-known No, French No, Revolution. it was just, it was a governmental upheaval where it, the common man was sort of fighting back against the government. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of killing and there was a lot of... Uh, wars, I guess, on the streets. And it was kind of a dangerous place to be at the time, especially in Paris. Mm. So, however, the protagonist, Ella, um, she trained in Paris for a couple of years um, mm-hmm. and then came back to London. So did you decide to set the book in London because of the unrest in Paris? Or why did you decide to set it in London? Is that is that just always, is England always the setting for your your novels? Well, my publisher um, likes for me to keep them all in, in England. So they're all like Victorian England stories. Um, mm. But honestly, it would have been really hard to write a book set in France then, just because there would have been so much upheaval that would have um, come into play in the story. Right. And that really wasn't what the story was about. So um, yeah. it was actually a okay. very rare for an English ballerina to get any kind of top billing. Um, even in the English theaters, they often brought in um, dancers from the continent to dance the lead parts. So I thought it would be mm-hmm. kind of fun to give them a, a, an England, a star from England. Yeah, that's neat. So have you spent much time in London yourself? Uh, a little bit in London, but more actually out in the countryside. Okay. Because um, there, there were so many places that you mentioned in this novel, it made me want to visit and see them in person. <laughs> it, was, it was, yes, it's a very fun place to be. And honestly, I looked at a lot of old maps to get a sense of things oh. and a lot of pictures, lots and lots and lots of pictures. Um, there mm-hmm. was a, a market opening up in Covent Garden around that time. And I looked at pictures of the construction going up and what it would look like and all the booths and everything. Um, and I did my best to kind of walk through it in my mind and lay it down against what I had seen when I walked through London now 
um, in our era. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. So um, you've written mostly about Victorian England. And can you tell us what you're working on now? Yes. uh, One more Victorian England story, actually. Uh, It is set in a Victorian asylum, which um, the darkness of that, fortunately, is contrasted with a lot of music. The heroine is a concert pianist, and I delved a little bit into the very beginnings of music therapy Mm. and uh, had a lot of fun with that book. Wow. So I think, um, is the first chapter a teaser at the end of this book? Is Yes. Is that, yes, it is. It's included. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when is that book releasing? Uh, that will be sometime in the fall of next year, 2020. Or, well, that'll be this year now, 2022. Yep. Okay. Great. So um, this is a question I ask all my guests, and I did ask you last time you were on, but I'm curious to see whether your answer has changed or not. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Well, I don't remember what I said before. <laughs> but <laughs> that's my, fine. I guess my thoughts on history and writing history is, has evolved a little bit too over the time. But um, a lot of times we repeat our mistakes. Mm. You know, we, we look back at something that happened a long time ago and think we would never do that. But we cycle back through the same things just in a different setting almost over and over again because the human condition doesn't change. And uh, so I think it's it's interesting to look at something in a different backdrop, but with the same struggles that we face today. And uh, I don't know, maybe we can learn a little bit something from the past so we don't end up repeating it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm actually wondering about this particular book. Can you talk a little bit about the themes and and what you want people to get from this book? Oh, sure. Um, one of the big ones is that that nagging sense of not enough. Yeah. Uh, Ella was kind of a recovering perfectionist mm-hmm. <clears throat> through the story. And so she was constantly trying to prove herself and she would do that by working harder, longer, faster, um, whatever she needed to, to become the ballerina that she sensed everyone around her was. Um, she felt like she didn't belong because she kind of shortcutted her training Instead of starting as a very young child, like most of them, she only trained for formally for about two years because she had had personal training from this ballerina she knew. So she always felt a little bit out of place and like she would not measure up. And the other ballerinas kind of um, sidelined her just uh, socially as well. So she really struggled to try to fit in in many ways. And her solution to that uh, like I said, was working harder and things like that. And towards the end, she kind of started coming from a different place of um, already belonging instead of trying to fit in. And it changed everything that she did. Yeah, I loved that. Um, and it was just, I don't know, I just felt like that point was driven home so clearly toward the end that um, I loved it. It was great. You know, the way that point was driven home kind of surprised me. It popped up out of the blue as I was writing some scenes and I was just like, oh, oh, well, that is that is the answer to this question that I have been sorting through this whole book. There it is. And oh, so it that's worked awesome. out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's. I love it. When I feel like that is the evidence that God is working with you when you write a book. 
Yes. It's things that are just like we weren't even planning on it, but it fits together so beautifully. Yeah. I feel like writing by myself would be like handing someone a big box of puzzle pieces. But when you work with God, he kind of like has the map and shows you how they all fit together and give them a completed puzzle. It's just so much different. Yeah. Definitely. So this has been a wonderful conversation, Joanna. And also with your little one there in your arms, I want to make sure our listeners know what they're hearing in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what is the best way for listeners and readers to follow you? Um, I am on Facebook at Joanna Davidson Politano. Uh, My newsletter is where I send all the first information and, you know, a little bit more personal tidbits and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm also on Instagram. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, I really appreciate it. It's always fun to be here. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us again. Don't forget to check out the show notes at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. Now to close, I would like to share a quote with you. This comes from Wayne Dyer, who said, When you dance, your purpose is not to get to a certain place on the floor. It's to enjoy each step along the way. So enjoy each step along the way, my friends, and keep reading historical fiction. I will talk to you again next week.